what I hope for genuinely is that people will really be uplifted. This is Series 5 of Brave New Girl Podcast. I'm your host, Lou Hamilton, and I welcome you to the Women's Impact Project, in which my guests share how they are positively impacting the world and the courage it takes to do so. If you're interested in making a difference by guesting on podcasts, you can find out how in my latest book, Dare to Share. This week's guest is Liz Truebridge, producer of Downton Abbey, the most successful British drama export of all time and winner of a Primetime Emmy, a BAFTA, a Golden Globe and the Producers Guild of America Award. Downton Abbey, the movie, hit the number one spot in both the UK and US on its opening weekend and is now followed by the release of Downton Abbey, A New Era. Welcome, Liz, to Brave New Girl Podcast. Hi, Liz. How are you? Hi, Lou. I'm fine, thank you. And thanks for inviting me on. Oh, it's really exciting to have you. I was lucky enough to have a sneak preview of the film last week and uh, and absolutely loved it. And it's coming out at a time when, after a time when we've had this global pandemic and the film industry has really struggled in many, many ways. So I wonder how on earth have you managed to make a film during this period of COVID restrictions? The honest answer is I have no idea. I think it was it was definitely the hardest piece of filming and and prep that I've ever done. And it's it was partly because we had to take so many precautions just in prep. We we couldn't, you know, the normal process for us is we're all in offices together and we go in and out of each other offices just brainstorming ideas and and of course you know we couldn't we 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 went into uh we had a sort of hangar like offices in Brentford and we were all separated by at least two meters when we were in but we only went in two days a week and everything else was zoom and distant uh, and, you know, just going on reccees for locations, a lot of the time we couldn't go into houses and we go to France, but we didn't know whether we'd be able to film in France. And we didn't know until three weeks before we actually went. So it meant that we had to we had to have one schedule, which was all about filming in France and another schedule, which was all about filming in the UK and using visual effects to make it look like France. So we had to do double lots of scouting, double lots of technical reccing, double lots of booking hotels, double lots of everything, and a budget that incorporated both options. So it was incredibly difficult. I mean, for every single person in the team, it meant so much work. But... Having said all of that, there really was a kind of Dunkirk spirit of we are going to do this. And we had a brilliant, we, we were very, very lucky because, you know, it was funded and financed by Focus Universal. And they they were unstinting in their generosity when it came to not taking any risks. So we had a full uh, COVID team working with us day in, day out, on location, everywhere. And we didn't lose a day, which was staggering. 
That absolutely is incredible, isn't it? You know, people are dropping left, right, and center now, and and uh, you just you wonder how you know with that. You know, it is like a you know a village comes together to make a film, doesn't it? So so many people, and and to not kind of drop a day is is pretty astonishing. I mean, it was it was remarkable, and you know, we were at our minimum one hundred and fifty people strong. And, you know, when you're filming, there are some days where we had a lot of supporting artists as well. So then it was going up to the, you know, 300s. And and another time when we were in the dining room at Highclere Castle, where we filmed Downton Abbey, and in the dining room we had a really frightening number of people in a COVID situation. But we did it. And... It was it was incredibly satisfying. When we flew back from France, having wrapped the film, I think everybody was just on a, a such a high from having pulled it off. It's a brilliant feeling when you finish film, anyway. But but to have done it under those circumstances yeah, yeah. is even more astonishing, isn't it? It was incredible. So I want to talk more about the film later. But first of all, to sort of give people a context about who you are and where you've come from. I'd I'd like to to ask you if you look back at yourself as a as a child and the upbringing you had were there any clues there to the kind of woman that you've become and the success that you've had I think the thing that probably was the biggest clue was that when I was oh probably I can't have been more than 6 part of the curriculum in my little school was play reading and it was my highlight of the week I loved it and I particularly loved it when I was cast as Mrs Rabbit (laughs) Um, but (laughs) I used to like that enormously and I just have always read and I've always loved watching drama and as I grew older I used to just have dreams and images of just to sit with these this visualization of sitting on a train with a script that I just had and working on it and and I didn't really know what it meant I didn't know what it entailed but I just love it and it suits my skill set because we you know producing is is all about doing lots of things at once really or thinking about a lot of things at once and I can't stop my brain doing that so at least it can be put to good use <laughs> And so when you grew up and you went off to university and then got into TV as a young woman, you were going into a world that was very male dominated, wasn't it? And so what were your experiences at that time? It was very male dominated. I went in on a what they had as a production panel at the BBC and it meant we got a go in various departments. And it it seemed at the time that if you said, I want to be in, in my case, drama department, that was the one department they didn't put you. They would give you experience everywhere else. So I did, I did get a lot of experience doing that, but it was always in sort of assisting roles and working quite often for men. Not, not that there was a problem. Most of them were very nice men, but it was, it was still, it was very noticeable. There weren't that many. There were some very strident w- women um, and very strong women and good women working in it. But 
I then thought, oh, well, if I'm not going to be put into drama, I really would like to try the adrenaline rush of live TV. And I started trailing news. Um, I went to Newsnight and I don't know what it was called, that it was called Tonight or something. But anyway, I did that and I thought, hey, current affairs, I would love to give that a go. I didn't think I wanted to stay there forever, but I thought I would like to experience that. And I got sent to Panorama for a month. But then Blue Peter, which I, to be quite honest, didn't want to do <laughs> until I watched it one new year to see, because I hadn't watched it since I was a child. And I saw a presenter on it and I thought, oh, maybe it won't be so bad. And I ended up marrying him. So that was good. <laughs> but that was course, a good move. <laughs> yeah, it was a good move. Um, but then that was run by an incredibly powerful woman in Biddy Baxter. And it gave me a lot of experience I had. You know, it, I was there for a year. It was not always easy, but I learned a lot. And from there, we had an opportunity, I had an opportunity to apply for an attachment to drama, which is where my heart was. And I got it, thankfully. And in drama department at the time, there was particularly a, a woman who, who was called Rosie Hill, who was a producer at the time. And she really inspired me. I mean, she was so, she was doing some of the most amazing dramas and films. And she seemed to be quite effortless in doing it. And so I kept applying. When that attachment finished, I applied again. And I started off in drama doing continuity. And I cannot tell you I have ever met anyone who was worse than me at that. <laughs> I, I cannot do it. My Part of the skill set of a producer is needs to see the bigger picture. And I can't do the detail. I just can't. I, I don't care enough about who's, which hand someone's using it in. Or I do care about things like, have we got this scene covered, which is part of that job. But I just couldn't do the detail. And I so admire people who can. And that's why teamwork is so good, of course. But then I went from there to production managing, which included location managing and first assistant director. And it wasn't the normal route. And there was a great deal of mutterings and mumblings amongst the drama department that that wasn't what I was supposed to do as a continuity person. I was supposed to stay as a continuity person. And if I wanted to cross over into production managing, then I should go change ladder and do what was then called an assistant floor manager, but it's basically second, third AD. But I didn't want to do that. So, so I was very lucky. I just happened to be at a time when we had an administrator there who was willing for two, there was another woman and me, two very strong, determined women to get their own way. And he allowed it. It caused quite a bit of a fuss, but he did. And, you know, it was obvious there were things that I missed, knowledge that I hadn't got. But what I did have was a lot of post-production experience, which is what the other route wouldn't have given. So I felt it was evening out. And I, you know, I learned fast. What did you feel as you were moving up through the, the ranks were the biggest challenges for you? And 
what tools did you pick up along the way that helped you kind of mentally, spiritually, emotionally to to get through what is a is a very challenging industry to work in? I think the biggest jump for me was going from script editing and firsting into producing. I did it when I was in my early 30s and I just wasn't aware enough or mature enough to actually manage that level of, to really understand what the job is, because the job is really about enabler. You are an enabler. You're the one person on the set who's not an expert in one field. You've got to you've got to allow all the experts who are there to come together and and create an environment in which they can give of their best. And I just, that was the hardest thing for me to learn. And I, I think I had to, well, I did for sure. I had to wake up and become more conscious as to who I was as a sort of spiritual being in order to understand that role. Because otherwise I, I, I was quite... You know, the first time I made mistakes of hiring directors for the wrong reasons and then having to fire them. And it was it was a very tough thing. It wasn't who I was. I didn't sit comfortably with me. And, and I just made a lot of mistakes and thought, OK, I need to. There's a better way of doing this. And I'd better find it fast because I want to keep doing this. And so I did sort of wake up and start exploring as, as a friend of mine says, you know, the greater forces at work than market forces. And that really, that made all the difference in the world because you bring, you bring something that gets into the fabric of what you do. And you, you are, I think as the producer particularly, you are setting, because casting behind the camera is for me as important as casting in front of it. And you are setting a team of people, you're casting, a project of people who will work very closely together and they need to be team players and you need to be able to enable them to not only do their best work but to be those team players and to feel that they have a voice and that you know that um, my my big thing is there are no silly stupid questions just you know and there are no stupid things ideas to chuck out because you never know we had a Early on in, in Downton, we had a time where through it was to do with the signature on a contract. And for a number of reasons, it hadn't happened. And we were due to film there the next day. And we were really up against it. And we all pulled together and struck up a plan as to what we would do. And we were told that if that hadn't been signed by 12 o'clock, we should stop everything and just think that the film, the series was on hold until it was sorted. And the ramifications of that were huge. And it was, we had to get into Highclere Castle. We had to go in there and set it all up in an afternoon for the next day to filming. And we had the prop truck in one lay-by. We had the lighting truck in another lay-by. <laughs> 12 o'clock came and went. And by three o'clock, 
everything had been sorted so we could continue and then it was just it was one of the most exhilarating things because everybody went crazy trucks pulled out went in and set the whole thing up in time for us to film there the next day and and that was the kind of environment when that works when everybody pulls together you know it it's it's an amazing thing but that's what you yeah, there are always challenges filming probably in any career but there are certainly always challenges you never know what but when you have a mindset of the people who have a shared mindset of we can do this you find a way and it's you know it's the creative juices flow in the sort of rough and tumble of of that kind of work environment it's quite hard to take the time out and that to find that space to sort of feel your way into this kind of other way of thinking and being so that you can come back into the work environment in a way that you do feel kind of emotionally and mentally spiritually sort of stable or at least you know what you're doing with that so that so that you can go full full gung-ho creatively into into work did you actually have to take that time out to explore that or did you kind of kind of grab it as you were going along again i learned by doing it really and I, I i used to say oh i can't do that i haven't got time to do that and it was i mean relatively recently to be honest you know within the last say five years or so that i thought hang on a minute spirituality is not does not mean i have to sit on a mountaintop and and be alone and particularly for me my my ability to quiet my mind is not at its you know it's not my strongest point i have to say so you just find other ways of doing it and i thought the thing for me is i need to learn it's a real exercise for me in learning to access that clarity in the midst of uh, turmoil <laughs> and actually when you just make yourself open to it it comes out i mean i'm constantly surprised that all you have to do you know, I think so many of us feel we've got to be good at something before it works. And I think with this, that's just not the case. I you know, I think in all the mess of our lives and the shambolic way we often approach things, well, I do anyway, I just think sometimes it's just enough to be willing to show up and to remember to show up and listen. And then, you know, you can be caught up in something again. I was saying this to a friend today. I think the outcome doesn't always look the way we think it's going to. You just realise you have affected somebody in some positive way or something gets solved in a way that you could never have imagined. It, it is a bit messy around the edges quite often, you know. It's, it's out of... You can access that voice in you, that, that voice of wisdom that actually says... It's talking all the time. And when when you stop that mind from constantly doing its judgment thing and telling you that you're an idiot, then it's 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 very refreshing. I have three little hacks that kind of try and pull me out of my my brain, which sounds like works in a very similar way to yours on the go constantly. One thing is I say, okay, just remember to breathe. Right, take this moment out and just breathe. Um, and that kind of stops, that slows everything down. 
Um, the other one that I've started doing, which seems to be kind of phenomenally successful in pulling me out of whatever mood I am at, I'm in or whatever speed my brain is going at, and that's look for the beauty. And uh, and that's an extraordinary thing that I've just learned to do and, and works instantaneously because we seem to be hardwired for finding joy when we when we see something that is is beautiful and that you know can be an inanimate object or a something living and the other thing is to trust in the process which sounds like that's what you use when you're going for all the things that you go for and not knowing what the outcome is going to be is allowing that thing to happen that's meant to happen I mean, look for the beauty is what I'm going to pinch from you. That's for sure. I think that's a wonderful thing to do. And yeah, I, I, it is. I, I totally agree with all of those. And I certainly do the breathing thing. And I think the other thing that I do is when I remember, which isn't always, but if somebody is being difficult or um, I would consider obstructive in some way, you know for a start it's coming from fear in them. And I just try and see if I can spot the spark of who they really are under that, beyond the fear. And then it becomes a game, which makes it much easier to deal with. Mm-hmm. I bet you've had plenty of opportunity to try that one out. I've had lots of experience of honing that skill. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you, well, I think probably when I first met you, you had teamed up with Julian Fellows to create the fir- your first feature which was time to time um, and then that led you on to six downtown. award-winning series of, <laughs> of downtown and two now two movies what's driven you creatively through this period of time working on what's ostensibly one community of of film one a film that's one story that plays out over time how has that kept your interest and your creative juices flowing this is answering your question although it may not sound like it from at the beginning but when i even heard when julian said to me on from time to time i'm writing a series called downton abbey i cannot tell you why but something in me said oh i have to do that and uh, a friend of mine said at the time you know, Liz, stories have a way of finding the person who needs to tell them. Anyway, I I ended up being offered the job. And in all honesty, it was it's it's been the most I feel one of the most privileged people on the planet to have actually been given the opportunity to do something that was so creative. I mean it still is. And what really keeps that creative juice going is that every time you do something you try and make the bar as high as it can be and then you don't do it again unless you can raise it a bit more and when it was really hard and some of the you know it was a relentless schedule we were on we would uh, film for six months of the year and prep or post for the rest of the time and then start again so we would start prep in December early December and actually finished delivery in mid-November and that was for six years and so it was really it could be very tiring at times 
But when you remembered how many people all around the world were waiting for it, nothing gives you so much of a lift as that does. It was, you know, just think, wow, people are waiting to see this. And so often in our industry, you, know, you don't know who's going to see it. It could be a man and his dog who sees what you do. Whereas knowing that millions of people worldwide were looking, then you have a real responsibility to deliver what their, their loyalty demands, really. And that really keeps you on your toes. It really has had a phenomenal success in, and with huge popularity around the world. Why do you think it's touched so many hearts? I mean, as you can imagine, we're all always being asked that. And I don't know. Um, my theories are it has something about it that it always comes out. It's, it's like it first came out during a worldwide recession and it was escapism. But I think fundamentally it has universal themes. It's about family. It's about caring for people and it's about the goodness of humans and the dark bits it's the full spectrum of life human life on earth in you know just seen through that little uh, porthole into this household and i think because julian's skill is to weave so many stories with so many characters and make them feel pretty much satisfying across the board. I think people can identify with them. They know someone who this person reminds them of. And, and I think one of the other things, I don't know whether it played a part or not, but our intention from the beginning was to, we had a tagline that this was Merchant Ivory meets the West Wing because we wanted a contemporary feel to it. We didn't want it to feel like you were looking through a keyhole into a bygone world. It felt it felt close enough for people's grandparents or parents even who were alive during this time. And it felt like this was an opportunity to make it feel like you could walk into that house and you could know these people. And I think that's what good TV does, is it enables so many times I hear people saying, oh, it's like being back with old friends. So I think all of those things, as well as the magnificent costumes that our costume designers have come up with, you know, there's it, it's it's aspirational and we all need a bit of escapism and it's not demanding. It's just it's storytelling. And with the latest movie, Downton Abbey, A New Era, what are you aiming for with this film? Well, it's a film that's going to come out, you know, as we hope we are coming out of this pandemic. And I think what I hope for genuinely is that people will really be uplifted. They'll laugh, they'll cry, and they'll want to go back and revisit it. It's giving people two hours of not just escape, but immersion and reminds people that life is pretty good really i laughed and i cried good <laughs> and i really urge people to go to the cinema to see it because it looks absolutely sumptuous 
the uh, the visuals, the the landscape, France, the costume, everything. It just looks stunning. So really, please go and sit in the cinemas while you can. Thanks, Lou. <laughs> and you're now producing a film about the Lockerbie plane bombing. Touches me particularly because I li- was living in in Lockerbie when that plane exploded out of the sky and fell down on us killing all the people on board and 11 people on the ground. What are you hoping for in this film that you are about to make? It's based on a book that Jim Swire has written and he lost his daughter Flora in the disaster. And I think when you are telling a story that's about real people that lived through a particular time, I think it, what, it, what interests me about this is that it's search for truth. And it's the impact that this has on a family and what that means and, the, you know, what, what it takes. What does that mean to a, a family when somebody is taken so young? It's beautifully written. And basically, I think those stories become about love in the end. It's interesting to explore why people do things. And, you know, in the Lockerbie's case, I don't know that anyone will ever find the truth of what actually happened. So many theories, so many possibilities. Who knows? But I think it's one of those things which is clear to see that revenge isn't really the answer. Bombs create bombs. It's just reciprocal. Jim Swire has been tireless in in his search for the, the truth. His daughter, who was, as you say, was killed on the plane, uh, she was the same age that I was when oh, wow. the bomb went off. And so I have followed his story and his search. And and so I'm really pleased that, you know, through his book, you are making this film, which keeps it keeps the memory alive of all those people who are lost. But also in that search for, for truth, I hope that he does find some peace. Me too. For the future, are, are you looking to make more of this kind of impact-driven film? What What are you looking for for yourself? I'm always driven. It, it's just the material. It depends what the material is. The one thing that's a must is that it has to... You can deal with very tough subjects, but leave people with an uplifting note. I just don't want to do something that just leaves people feeling desperate and bereft. And I happen to think there is a responsibility on filmmakers to to do that. But it's just storytelling. I love stories. I love good stories and they transport us. And I think, you know, I'm I'm all for reviving the art of of storytellers that go around and sit in pubs and just tell stories. They are entertainment at its purest, I think. You're, you're in a world of wonderful storytellers and it's tough at times. It is, it's a, you know, it's quite a hard world to, to get films off the ground and to make them happen and to get them out there and um, to get the audiences. So I wonder how you define courage as a filmmaker. Yes, a very, very good question. I think most people are far more courageous than they think they are. Because I think it comes back to this thing of seeing courage as the kind of valiant warrior S who goes out and does things. But I think it's little 
little decisions that in the face of extreme odds sometimes we just do it we just it's courage for me is just being willing to show up and you know follow your heart no matter what other people are saying to you is impossible don't really like that word much and I don't take much notice of it <laughs> I just think people are courageous actually I agree with you every episode that I've done every person that I've interviewed has come up with a different different definition of courage and and they all are things that we're all we all do as part of being human yeah we are a courageous species we really are and you know you think I often think when I'm walking in the street and I see just passing passers by and I think I wonder what your story is and I bet they're all courageous and I've yeah. had to face some really you know the human experience is a tough one and a joyful one but you have to go through suffering to find the joy it seems Thank you so much, Liz, for bringing us a slice of another era that reminds us of our humanity and our need for community, love and connection, no matter what period of time or social strata we're born into or which side of our bread is buttered. Thank you so much, Liz. It's been great talking to you and see you soon. Good luck with the film. Thanks, Lou. Yes, we hope there will be lots of good luck. Thank you. Yeah. Take care and see you soon. Thanks, Liz, for showing us that trusting in our life's purpose and taking action in that direction can lead us to where we're meant to be. You can find out more about Liz's work through her agent at www.sarahputt.co.uk and follow her movie updates on Instagram at DowntonAbbey underscore official. Thanks to Silk Studios for producing and sourcing the guests for the show. And thanks to you all for listening. Take care, choose courage and see you next week.